Alex, and this is the Northern Guide to Happiness. Welcome to episode three. As always, I'm here in our virtual studio with the rest of the podcast team, Kath and Chris. Hello. Hello. Hi there. <laughs> Chris, you're looking different tonight. You're standing up. Yeah, uh, just for a little bit of a refresh, I've, I've changed laptops. So I've got one that sounds a little bit less like a hairdryer. But that has to go in a very particular part of the room. So that's over there. So I thought, wow, you know, just I'll, I'll, I'll stand up. I'll make a bit of difference and give you a chance to see a slightly different angle on the room. Fascinating as it is. I can see the towel in all its glory hanging from the back door. Yeah. No, we were supposed to kind of give people the impression that we're in these kind of acoustically treated uh, <laughs> professional studios. And no, I've got beach towels everywhere. Yeah, it's fine. I yeah, think we've right. let the cat out the bag a few times already. So I, so I wouldn't worry too much. You look like a stand-up comedian. <laughs> you're like a stand-up comedian uh you're gonna be bitterly disappointed i'm sorry <laughs> well tonight i'm glad this isn't a video podcast because i'm looking like a drowned rat I, I i got in from a run about half an hour ago so uh i braved the rather yucky weather this evening and and uh, got some fresh air so i'm glad no one can see how awful i look my fringe uh, needs drying a little bit there hey you look but, fine uh, man all right then Thanks. <laughs> I thought it was deliberate. I thought it was kind of, this is my new look. It's not a good look. <laughs> it's difficult to tell on a webcam. The drowned rat look. Yeah. <laughs> How are you, Kath? I'm fine. I'm pleased it's rained more than I thought it was going to because at last the, the garden looks slightly damp. We know how much you love the rain, Kath. I know, I know. And, and I'm stuck here talking to you lovely people and maybe I should be out Sorry. there walking. <laughs> But I'll stay. Thank you. Appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> Shall we introduce this week's guest interview? Oh, yes. Shall we go for it? Uh, this week we talked to Liz Luff, who's been involved in the Sir Bobby Robson Foundation since it started back in 2008. We talked about the amazing work the foundation does, including some of the moving stories of its fundraisers. We also talked about the personal motivation for Liz being involved in its work. And of course, you can't talk about Sir Bobby Robson without talking about Newcastle United and football. So we also talk about the rather sensitive subject of whether Newcastle United makes Liz happy. <laughs> so enough of me talking. Here's my conversation with Liz. Liz, a very warm welcome to the Northern Guide to Happiness. Thank you so much for joining me today. How are you doing? I'm doing very well, thank you. Yes, thank you very much for having me on. How's your day been so far? Uh, well, the usual kind of technology, shouting at computers, and it's a bit chilly, so I put the wood burner on, so that was nice, and the dog's gone out for a walk, so it's very quiet, and I'm not used to it being so quiet for now until so when back. the postman comes we won't we won't get the uh we won't, it won't be announced quite the same as it normally is <laughs> there's dom letters <laughs> <laughs> they have a habit of doing that don't they i've got a jack russell and um yeah he he likes to make a noise yes it is very much i'm here i'm here yes i know yes yes i'm saving you from the post the postman yes uh, thank you very much maggie very helpful for people that perhaps don't know who you are, would you mind just setting the scene for us? I think that's uh, just about everybody, for <laughs> my family. Um, yes, yeah, so I'm uh, Liz Luff and I'm a freelance PR um, and one of my clients is the Sir Bobby Robson Foundation. I'm very lucky that I've worked with the foundation since its launch in 2008, which means so I can say Sir Bobby Robson was my manager. 
Nice. <laughs> Not many people can say no. that. <laughs> Very proud of that. <laughs> what was he like, Sir Bobby? Oh, wow. He was amazing. He was uh, genuinely everything that everything that you think he was he was that and he was so much more he was a really genuinely inspiring person and when I got involved with the foundation you know I was overawed you know by by who he was because he had a a real presence you know and uh, yeah and then I just did absolutely every single thing that I possibly could just so uh, I didn't let him down because I was kind of desperate for a pat on the head you know and and I think it must be must have been the same way for his for his players as well, you know, that you just wanted to Yeah, you wanted to, you wanted to not let him down. I can see why players used to say they'd they'd run through a brick wall for him. He was an mm. amazing man. Mm. So tell us a bit more about the Sir Bobby Robson Foundation then, because as you say that's where you've been uh working. Can mm-hmm. you tell us about that? Yeah, so it was founded in two thousand and eight by Sir Bobby. It's not a charity in his name, it is absolutely Sir Bobby's Sir Bobby's charity. Um and basically what happened was um he was receiving treatment uh at the time for the fifth and unfortunately one in you was was the last the last time with, with cancer. And his oncologist asked him if he knew and if she, if he knew anybody that basically would be able to help fund uh, a cancer trials research centre. So basically, he was on a, a clinical trial of a new cancer drug at the time at the, the general hospital, and there was a new trials unit being built at the Northern Centre for Cancer Care at the Freeman. But they needed to find half a million pounds to equip it, and this is where the kind of request came from. But Sir Bobby, being the man that he was, and Lady Elsie being the woman that she is. Um, they'd said, right, well, we'll, you know, said to, literally said to his oncologist, you get on with your day job, we'll get you the money. And that's that's <laughs> that's where we came from. Although, although his oncologist, she she did say that Sir Bobby said uh, right from the start, you know, if I'm doing this, you're doing this. So literally from the first press conference to announce the foundation, there's Professor Ruth Plummer sitting alongside Sir Bobby yeah. and uh, Des Lynham and Bob Wilson and Jim Rosenthal and Sir Bobby all sat there on. And there's Ruth, Ruth, Ruth Professor Plummer in the middle. <laughs> so what on earth have I got myself into here? Where am I? Yeah. <laughs> so um, so that's where it was. So basically the foundation came from this very specific need to find half a million pounds to equip what became the Sir Bobby Robson Cancer Trials Research Centre. Um, Sir Bobby set the foundation up as a, a fund within the Newcastle Hospitals charity. So we're an NHS charity. It was a huge success from day one. And we're just so grateful and so um so happy that it's continued it's never we've you know it's not it's never it's never slowed down and I think that in some ways you know that's testament unfortunately to Mm. the fact that everybody's affected by cancer one way or another if it's not you it's a a loved one or a neighbor or a workmate but on the other hand I think it's also testament very much to the people of this region particularly although we, we receive tremendous support from all over the place um, but it's a testament to Sir Bobby and his name and I think the way that people still feel about him, but also the way he approached cancer, the way he approached life and the way he approached cancer, I think really strikes a chord for, for so many people and they want to do their bit. And mm-hmm. he, he called the foundation his last and greatest team. He said he felt like he was a manager again. And uh, he, he really, I, I still sort of feel like he's, you know, looking over our shoulders, making sure we're doing it right. God oh, forbid absolutely. we don't. <laughs> yeah. 
So what motivated you to get involved in the foundation then? You mentioned there that you, you've been there since 2008, since mm-hmm. the, the start. What, what motivated you to be involved? Well, I was very fortunate because I was working at a city centre agency at the at the time and the agency had said that they would launch the foundation, do the PR for it free of charge. And I was offered the opportunity to do it, to get involved because I had a season ticket at St. James's, which obviously I just grabbed with both hands. And then I just got completely obsessed by it because I was working with Sir Bobby Robson and it was uh, <laughs> it was incredible. And he was incredible. And I was... I was just so proud to, to be involved. It became incredibly important to me right from the start. It 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 became important. And then when Sir Bobby, so this was in, we launched March 2008 and Sir Bobby died um, in the July the following year, 2009. Uh, a month after that, we'd, we'd been very fortunate actually as a family. We hadn't really been affected by cancer directly. So that was my sort of first experience of losing someone to cancer. And then um, my sister was diagnosed a month after Sir Bobby died and she died the following year. So what was already something that was very important to me and very personal to me became even more so following mm-hmm. Rebecca's diagnosis. And <laughs> I really wish it hadn't happened. However, I think it has given me an insight, a greater insight, obviously, into uh, the motivations behind our supporters, why they, why they raise money for us and and. and you can't say how people feel, but it has given me a greater uh, understanding, I think, of that. Mm. I mean, this podcast is all about happiness and what that means. And oh, you don't want to talk about cancer? It's <laughs> 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 great. <laughs> what a wonderful disease. <laughs> happiness probably isn't the right word to use, but, you know, have have there been any kind of standout moments at the foundation, um, you know, you working there that that stand out for you? Oh, I, th- I think of... happiness is, is definitely a word that I would use. I mean, yeah, absolutely, you know, cancer is not a happy subject. But, I mean, Lady Elsie is incredible. Uh, she's just a, an absolute privilege to know Lady Elsie. Wonderful woman, very, um, as, as committed as Sir Bobby ever was you know to to the foundation as as the whole family are actually but lady elsie is is fantastic and she's got a very dry sense of humor as well she's a really funny lady um so i think we regularly you know pre covid times we would regularly meet with fundraisers uh, for a coffee to, you know, to find out a little bit more about what people are doing and why they're doing it you know to and and, and often that's um you hear very sad stories and, and uh, people like Lady Elsie and like myself who've been affected by cancer, who've, who've decided to do something about it. But it's it's also a really, really positive mm. experience every time. Even when it's sad, it, it you come away from it not feeling sad. You come away from it feeling motivated and mm. inspired and, and you know that we're still doing the right thing. I mean, Lady Elsie and I, we often joke that, you know, we live in this little bubble. You know, if we were, I don't know, probation officers, you know, we would maybe be meeting people who were perhaps a little bit less happy in their world (laughs) Um, or or parking attendant or something. You know, you would meet people who are a bit irate with you all the time. But we live in this lovely little bubble where we meet fundraisers and these people who are trying, you know, nice people who are trying to do something positive in the face of something really negative, which is a very, very suburbic thing to do. And, it, and I think that, that that does that makes me very happy. I also think when when like for instance we we fund a piece of equipment or a piece of technology or a new service. So 
for instance, there's a genome sequencing project at the, the RVI, which we fund called Prospect Northeast, and that's about creating personalised cancer treatments, the gene, genome sequencing and, and all the rest of it is very much the, the way lots of medicine is going now. So we, f we fund that, and I think that was a near enough a million pounds. But when you fund something like that, or a piece of equipment or, or what have you, and you, and you look at, you know, like, um, there's a circulating tumour cell machine I know that we funded, um, and that was near enough half a million quid, and it looked like a giant photocopier. But it's doing really amazing, amazing work. Um, so it, it yeah but when you look at something like that and you think wow how many coffee mornings has this taken yeah. so this is like a half a million pounds or a million pounds uh, service or what have you how, how many coffee mornings how many great north runs how many sponsored walks sponsored silences you know daft bets that have been lost whatever it is you know that people have, have undertaken or, or donated and, and sadly how many funerals and things you know but how you know all of these relatively small amounts of money that all add up and become something really, really special at the end of it that is helping everybody. It's it's a it's a beautiful thing, and and it's also a very very Sir Bobby thing because he had a a mindset and an approach to life where you know when he was presented with a problem, it wasn't like well whose fault's this, who's done this. It was well, what are we doing what about we do? this? Yeah. And that was his approach to life, and that was his approach to cancer. He had cancer five times, and every time he said, "Right, well, what what do we do about it?" And he just got on and did whatever it was that he needed to do, and that's what we're doing. We're trying to. The problem is cancer. The cancer it's a huge problem, but what can we do about it? So, that's that's where the foundation comes from. It takes a certain character, doesn't it, to be able to, as you say, after five times, still have that attitude of what can we do rather than blaming someone for it. Mm -hmm. uh, there's no one to blame. How do people maintain positive mental well-being? I mean, I know that's not possible all of the time, but that's another thing that we've been sort of talking to some of our interviewees about is what do you do to, to maintain positive mental health and well-being? What do you find some of the people that you've worked with do? What are their coping mechanisms? I think people... Certainly through in terms of the foundation, I think it is that sense of teamwork and togetherness. So even like during coronavirus times, is that a word? Can you say coronavirus times? You, you just have. <laughs> Let's go for it. Okay, cool. During, <laughs> during, the, during the pandemic, during the coronavirus times, um, I think, so you can, you can be like, um, we have a fundraiser, a wonderful man called Keith Farkerson who lives in Heaton. And Keith, last year, was shielding. Uh, unfortunately he has uh, stage 4 bowel cancer he's a patient in the Sir Bobby Robson Cancer Trials Research Centre so he wanted to do some fundraising he was confined to, to barracks and was you know a bit fed up so he started cycling at home using a static bike at home and uh, he, he decided he was going to cycle the Tour de France so he cycled the route of the Tour de France 2018 but he did it from his home in Heaton and raised oh crikey it was more than £6,000 it might even be more than that actually raised a huge amount of money for us but that was his kind of way of, of supporting the foundation who are in turn supporting him through the trials of new cancer drugs at the Sabobi Centre but also just something to keep positive and keep fit and keep uh yeah keep a an eye on a bigger picture i suppose 
I heard about that through a friend of mine who was was a an ex-neighbour of his and it just sounded incredible and I saw the pictures on social media and I was like wow I, I don't think I could do that no, I definitely couldn't. <laughs> I can barely cycle around the block. No, but it was, it was lovely. And uh, because it was right in the middle of like lockdown proper as well. And uh, it, to have, we had a sort of, you know, a group of people in his back, where the gates of his backyard were open so that we could kind of gather socially distanced outside his backyard and cheer him as he, as he cycled the last bit. And he practically collapsed over the, the, the handlebars of the bike but it was lovely and then you know a glass of champagne and everybody off they went again and just for a moment it was that kind of being together with real life people again and yeah. you know it was it was really beautiful and Keith, Keith's an amazing man he, he is mm-hmm. um so positive and uh, in, in in a in a difficult situation and I think he exemplifies what what, what the foundation's all about just an incredible achievement yeah. absolutely does your work make you happy then, Liz? I wouldn't say it all the time because that would be a lie. <laughs> I think uh, I think most of the time my work makes me very happy. I think I'm extremely lucky to do what I do. I think if you are lucky enough to do a job that means something to you, that you genuinely care about, then that brings with it its own its own stresses because you do care. It's not like a job you can just switch off from and say, well, I don't care. But also it, it gives you a sense of achievement when it goes right and it gives you a real driving desire to do it properly as well. So I think I think my work does make me happy. I don't just do PR for the Sir Bob Robson Foundation, although that's mostly what I do. I have a lovely client called SOS Group who are uh, an office technology company and they're lovely um, as well as being very good at what they do. They're also very community focused. So they, they do an awful lot of charity things. And so that's a, a great pleasure to work with. And Durham Heritage Coast is a client and has been a client since I was a junior account executive some 20 years ago. So it's... A long, long time ago. So I've worked with the same the, the same guy at, at the Heritage Coast, and, and the coastline of Durham is is beautiful and, and much overlooked. I think people don't perhaps know know it as as well as they should. So that's that's a, that's a strong recommendation for happiness is visit Durham Heritage Coast and have a walk along the beaches there. It's beautiful, absolutely glorious. Do you know the coast and being by the sea is something that keeps coming up in in quite a few of our interviews as a as a happy place as a something that is important to people i think it's yeah it's just so good for the soul isn't it just oh yes it's the sound the of the sea, sea is what mm. it, it it's the open space i think mainly it's the openness but it's the sound isn't it it's yeah it's absolutely yeah. beautiful and now yeah. uh, we're particularly lucky we have a, a border terrier the aforementioned dog that goes crazy when the, <laughs> <laughs> the poor, poor postman Oh dear. But she's great. I mean, we go to the beach with Maggie and all she wants to do is run around with other dogs. And it's just such... The, 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 probably the thing that makes me happiest in the entire world is watching Maggie run around with other, with other dogs. We call her Maggie Mayhem because she's the, always the one causing trouble. Oh, brilliant. She's, she's always at the front of a pack of random dogs on the beach, sprinting around. And, and, and just seeing that kind of her um just absolute joy of just running and her little ears bouncing up and down is is just tremendously that 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 thing is the thing in the world that makes me happiest 
a few of the listeners will know that I, I play roller derby for Newcastle Roller Derby and Maggie Mayhem would just be the perfect roller derby <laughs> name. Absolutely. You can have somebody it. Needs to, somebody needs to grab that if it hasn't been grabbed already. Maggie um, Mayhem, yeah. Oh, she's, she's, she's great fun. I mean, with I think with Dor, I think particularly this, this, this last year, I think people have an appreciation for animals at home, pets that they maybe haven't had. We understand that that may be bringing some issues as well as people mm. return to offices and things. And, and you know, if they've got animals at home that are used to having people at home all day, that's going to possibly Absolutely. cause some problems. We know yeah. that. And I think there's been an increase, hasn't there, in pet ownership. But li- living at home and they're the, the being just the, my husband and myself, I think we would have probably ended up, you know, sort of, well, I tried to think. <laughs> But because we've been at home and we've had Maggie as well and she forces you out the house, you know, if you can't be bothered to go for a walk, well, you have to go for a walk and going for a walk, even if you're not going to the beach, even if it's just locally around the wagonways or wherever. Wow, that really does help your head, doesn't it? So, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, also, she's just very cute. And she's there when when I start shouting at my laptop when it when it won't work she comes running up to me like what's going on what's going on are you okay Can I help? Can I help? <laughs> exactly <laughs> not really but okay and and then at least you go from being outraged at how annoyed you are and whatever by your laptop to all of that but also with a border terrier on your knee which is you know it's okay I'm still really angry with my laptop but I, at least I've, you know I've got my arms around a, a dog so <laughs> a lot that's a lot better. The number of Zooms I've been in where, you know, a cat has fallen oh, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, just walked across the screen or, or whatever. So, uh, yeah, they're, they're definitely part of our lives, aren't they, at the minute, particularly through yeah. lockdown when we've been at home so much. What does happiness mean to you, Liz? Do you know, I think I think we are, and probably this is controversial for your, for your podcast, maybe not. I think happiness is a very rare thing. I think we're generally, you're lucky if you're content there are moments, I think happiness is fleeting. You have moments in your life where you can truly say you, that you are happy. And then I think if you achieve sort of a general level of content, then I think you're doing very, very well. I think it's hard to maintain kind of happy all the time. In fact, I think if you were happy all the time, there'd be something wrong with you. I think to be content is is as much as, as many of us could can really hope for, but... But there are like you know obviously watching the dog being an idiot is definitely something that makes me happy and oh and the idea and holidays I mean crikey again like walking on a beach this isn't this isn't news and I'm sure everybody's the same but oh I I miss holidays I miss the prospect of holidays it's not just being on holidays it's the, it's the idea isn't it and getting ready yes knowing yeah. that it's the out there yeah. yeah so I'm I'm oh man we we go to Italy every year we have friends. Uh, well, they've become friends uh, in in Italy, and I'm oh man, I miss I miss those guys, and it's it it's like we're very lucky that where we where we go, um, we've been to lots of different places, uh, a few different places in Italy, but we go to the we tend to go to the same place every year now, which I never thought we would be those people, but when we go, it's like sort of dropping into a different life because we we know so many people there now and. It's lovely, and our friends in over there have come over to Newcastle and a couple of times, so they've um, they've experienced what we've got to offer as well. So it's it's been a really positive experience, and we, we the, the 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 farm where they live, they have various they have a few apartments, they have various uh, lots of various lots of different nationalities of people come to stay, and they have uh, dinners at, in the evening, and uh, you get to meet people from 
mainly from around Europe, but all sorts of different countries. And uh, it's it's really a, a hugely positive thing and opens your eyes to different experiences and uh, other people's experiences and other people's worlds. And uh, I don't know, I, I miss that. I really miss that. And I think we're all a bit like that at the minute. You feel a bit kind of closed in without the, yeah. the prospect of it happening at all. I think it's, it's hard. What what is it about Italy then, and the particular part of Italy that your friends are from that you love so much? I, I honestly, I just how could you fault that country? I mean, the food, the wine, the scenery. But mainly for us, it's the people. They're they are just. It, it's just. I mean, it's it's just a really really wonderful country. And I think if you make any kind of effort with the language even if if you you just go for a, a visit and you can get no no further past the you know hellos and thank yous and pleases and things that they're just very very welcoming in in my experience and yeah the food crikey i mean yeah. it's just incredible so i i think when um i've just realized i've said incredible a lot i do this I did this in a radio interview once. I said it so many times that the journalist in question actually outed me afterwards for how many times I said it. The next time I did an interview with him, this is uh, Simon Pride at BBC Radio Newcastle, and then the next time I did an interview with him was about the Sir Bobby Robson Foundation. I, I said incredibly, not incredible, I said incredibly, <laughs> and he had a sound effect ready for me and went, Bing! No. he did, and that put me off my stride. And then he said, incredible, boom, you know, and then I had to explain to people in the middle of talking about something completely different, what it was, oh God, <laughs> the food is amazing. And uh, so we, we go to uh, Tuscany, but we, we, we go to the north uh, in the mountains where um, they don't get so many tourists. So it's not Tuscany like it's, uh, the Garfagnana uh, region, uh, Liguria and the Garfagnana. It's, um, it's beautiful. And I 100% I recommend it because it's, while Tuscany with the you know the lovely cypress trees and Chianti and all of that is, is very beautiful it's obviously also very popular mm. uh, with tourists and if you go a little bit further away from those touristy bits you can find a real kind of I mean huge beautiful mountains and just quiet and lovely food in little quiet places that you only hear Italian around you and it's it's a whole other life and I, I just we go there and we, we sort of drop into it and our friends have, have me um, have an agriturismo you know so these uh, farm with with people can stay there and they they are so uh, careful to to involve their guests in local life that you you do sort of feel part of it. It's a really lovely thing. I, I think the whole concept of an agriturismo is, is a wonderful idea, and it's I think it's been very successful over there, hasn't it? So, you mentioned the word contentment um, earlier on, rather than happiness. Can you say a bit more about what that means to you? Then the content. What does contentment mean? How do you know when you're content? Uh, well, the dog's not wagging a tail at me and saying, are you all right, Liz? What's wrong? What's it? You okay? <laughs> Generally a sign that I'm not content. Uh, eating fudge. If I'm eating fudge, I'm usually content. I've been doing a lot more of that during <laughs> lockdown. Dear me. I don't know. I think I'm, I'm generally, my mother would say I'm a, I'm a very up and down person. I'm either up or I'm down. There's not a lot in the middle. So I think maybe I do find it quite hard to be content. 
Whereas my husband's the opposite. He's very good. He's very good at sort of being in that middle ground, which I suppose is why we work well together. But I think it's important and life life is short. And my my sister, when she 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 had cancer for only nine months and there was no kind of warning really that that was, was going to, 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 to come. She had bowel cancer, which is very treatable. And if anybody has any symptoms of, of anything, you know, go to the doctor. Bowel cancer, very treatable. Unfortunately for Rebecca, uh, her symptoms were masked with some other health issues which confused things. So it wasn't discovered until too late. She was looking forward to to buying a house in France and and, uh, she lived in Kent. She was a scientist and she was looking forward to a whole life beyond the life she had already to, to expand her life and do something different. And she didn't get a chance to do any of that. And I think, well, life is life is short and and. If you get the, the opportunity to have a have a holiday and meet nice people and make friends in a different country, why why not do it? Or, or I, I I don't know. It's um is that contentment or is that I don't know really. I've never really thought about it like that before. But I I think it's um yeah. I I, th- I, th- I, th- I life is life is short. And I know that's a trite thing to say but it is very true and it's true yeah and and it's yeah making the most out of life i suppose isn't it yeah the circumstances that you're in i suppose Um, yeah and finding and finding an interest in in like rebecca even when she was ill because she was a scientist i mean literally the day before she died she said to uh the one of the doctors she thanked him. Um, she thanked him for the treatment. This was where she was um, supposed to come on a. We'd arranged for a private ambulance to bring her from Kent up to St Oswald's Hospice, and unfortunately, she died uh, just b- before we could arrange for, before she could travel. Basically, um, but the day before she died, she said to one of the doctors in Durham Valley Hospital, she said, "She said, well, it's been really interesting. Thank you." <laughs> Interest, interesting, but she genuinely thought about it that way. You know, I mean, she obviously she As did a scientist. not. Yeah, she didn't want cancer clearly, and and God knows it was it was very hard to see what it did to her physically. She was, uh, it was, it was, it was horrible. Um, but she genuinely, you know, it's been interesting. Interest. I mean, and what a great way to look at even the worst bits of life. You know, <laughs> and. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I think I think that's a, a good way to try and if you can find some measure of contentment in in, in even that kind of situation. Mm. And she used to fight. She used to fight. She was on the the ward with because she was <clears throat> relatively young compared to a lot of the patients around her in the on, on the ward. She called them the old Betty's. They should have all these old ladies on the ward. The wandering Betty's during the night they'd get out of bed and start wandering around. She, oh God, I just I had a dreadful night last night with the wandering Betty's. <laughs> and um, it, you so, know, it sounds like a strange punk band or something. The wandering, wandering Betty's, Betty's. <laughs> yeah, Maggie Mayhem and the wandering Betty's. Now there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so she used to, was, yeah, but she she talked to the the wandering Betty's of it and getting back into bed and um, and. And when when they were a little bit more lucid, she would talk to them about their experiences building Spitfires and all sorts of things. And I think if you can try and and so Bobby was a great one for this was if you can try and find an interest in other people, and and in other people's lives, then I think that's a, certainly a, a a way to find contentment. I think if you only focus on your own life, if you only think about yourself and how things impact on you, then that's probably I should do more of that. That sounds like good advice. I should do I that. I should take more interest in other people. 
Yes. There you go. <laughs> Start a podcast because I tell you what, the the amount of uh, stories and um, anecdotes and things that, that I've been hearing over the last year through through this project and, and all the other storytelling work that, that we do. Um, yeah, it's fabulous when you kind of and so many people will often say, "Oh, you don't want to talk to me. You want to talk to so and so." It's like, "No, I want to talk to you." And then, yeah, you you find that somebody flew Spitfires during World War Two, or they they helped build nuclear power stations, or all sorts of different things. And yeah, it's people great are amazing. Kind of, absolutely, yeah, all of the different stories and ex- and life experiences, and even though you know we're seeing threads appear in these interviews about happiness everyone has experienced life in different ways so everyone's take on the same thing is is different so everyone's love of the coast and the sea will there'll be a different reason for it um, and they'll have experienced it in different ways and i think that's what's so fascinating about us humans yes um, is the diversity and yeah all the different experiences yeah so go go do go do that, Liz. <laughs> yeah, that's a good. This has been quite useful, hasn't it? I feel like I'm in therapy. <laughs> I'm going to have to pay you at the end of this, am I? Yeah, I'll send you my bill at the end. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's another thing that we have genuinely learned. I think this this last year is the importance of of, of talking, because all of those little conversations that we. And, and little uh, social interactions that we have naturally taken for granted our entire lives that were suddenly, you know, taken from us and we know why, you know, for our own safety. We've not been able to spend time with people. And it's just not the same doing, you know, so you can you can do Zooms and you can have phone calls and all of that's very welcome and I'm glad that we have the opportunity to, to, to contact people, you know, keep in touch with our friends in, in Tuscany via WhatsApp and all the rest of it. But actually physically being with somebody and seeing their face and wandering around their garden or whatever or, you know eating their food all of that kind of thing I'm, wow and, and and even just the kind of social interactions like um i'm a member of the tyneside irish center and not that i'm in any way irish at all but i have lots of friends who are irish so it, and it's close to the it's close to st james's park it makes a lot of sense <laughs> ticks a lot of boxes so um and I, lo- I love it there absolutely love it there because there's a real sense of community and there's lots of people in there who i i do know but then there's lots of people i don't but they it's such a friendly club that you go in and everybody you know you, you, ha- you end up having random conversations with strangers at the bar and i love that and, and i hadn't realized quite how much those little conversations and little moments meant until we none of us got to do them anymore so that's what I think I'm looking forward to most. Um, but I'm not sure how we'll get back to that. It's going to be strange, isn't it? To we'll, we'll hopefully get back to it. Yeah, as you say, it might take a little bit of time to get used to being uh, out and about again. But uh, yeah, it's those little conversations that you miss, you know, when you go out and walk the dog, um, when you weren't allowed to sort of stop and mingle. Mm. And, you know, you're so used to meeting people out and about and, and people are still saying hello good morning as you walk past them but uh, yeah it's those little those little moments that we we aren't experiencing at the moment isn't it i, I think yeah. yeah that i'm missing those those the community um around the activities that we do as well so yeah i hope we'll get back to that soon i'm sure we will i'm sure but it will it will be maybe we will appreciate it more and then we'll forget yeah. <laughs> and then it'll just be normal yeah, again sure. i quite look forward to it being just normal actually <laughs> yeah 
we talked in our pre-recording chat about that sense of community around um, the football. Is that something that brings you happiness, Newcastle? <laughs> Does Newcastle United bring me hate. happiness? <laughs> <laughs> Does Newcastle United bring me happiness? No, no, it doesn't. Funnily enough, um, it does bring me. Um, it has given me. First of all, I would not wouldn't have got the uh, work through the Sir Bobby Robson Foundation and the opportunity to meet Sir Bobby and all of the amazing people that I have met through the foundation if it wasn't for being a season ticket holder at St James's. I've had moments of true happiness at St James's Park. I've had moments of absolute despair and many <laughs> more moments of just, dear God, let this be over. <laughs> but it is, but you go there, and again, this is something that I've, I've really missed. You go there and you feel something. And even if the thing that you are feeling is kind of out, uh, anger that you are not feeling something, do, do you know? <laughs> because yeah. you want to feel something and now you're angry that you're not feeling um, invested in the team for whatever reason or, you know, whatever. Then that's something. And you come away from the ground sometimes and there's been a late equaliser or a late goal and you're angry or you're happy or you you come away from the ground and you feel something. And there's a real sense of um, community within the Irish centre, but within the, the ground itself as well. You see the same people on a match day. You come in, you know, you see the food bank collection, see my pal Bill Corcoran there doing the collections. And it, it's that, um, a real sense that you are part of something bigger and something that's gone on since 1892. You know, so this this, this big collection of fans and... The team comes and goes, but the the stadium is there, and this cathedral on the hill, this incredible. Uh, see, I just done it again. Incredible. How Make many are we up to? <laughs> Was it like seven, eight, nine? And we're probably into double figures. I'll I'll do a tally when I'm editing. Oh, and I'll let you know. God, please don't tell me. <laughs> uh, it's becoming a thing. But we've got this. Um, I nearly did it again. We've got this big stadium right in the middle of the city and um i mean i remember uh the, before the first magic weekend you know the magic weekend where the uh, rugby league comes so where uh, they come and play a whole round of rugby league super league fixtures in one place and for three three times i think that they, they came to st james's and it's amazing so you've got all of these rugby league fans coming from all over the country who are coming to newcastle and i remember the the first year that the magic weekend was announced at st james's so newcastle not being traditionally a rugby league city it caused mm. a little bit of um i wouldn't say controversy but it was a there was a discussion to be had and i remember going on bbc radio manchester to talk about witness vikings rugby league team because witness uh, for their the first magic weekend in newcastle were doing some fundraising for the sir bobby robson foundation so i was on and i, I said i said beforehand i said look i don't know anything about rugby league i mean i used to play rugby union but i don't know anything about rugby league so please don't ask me look but this was bbc radio manchester's rugby league show and then they started asking me all this stuff. Oh, I don't know anything about rugby league. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but then they started asking me about Newcastle and saying, well, you know, nobody in Newcastle even likes rugby league. Well, that was obviously, I was one of them. Oh, although I do now like rugby league. So the Magic Weekend concept does work. 
I remember saying to the guy, thinking, well, I don't know much about Ruby Lake, but I know about Newcastle. So I started telling him about Newcastle and how amazing the city is and how amazing the stadium is and how it's right in the heart of the city. And we've got like a gazillion bars and a gazillion restaurants and it's all here and the city is beautiful and the river running through it and the historic heart and the city of palaces and Richard Granger and how beautiful it is and how amazingly welcoming Geordies are and all that. But it is all of that. And, and I think... I think we're incredibly lucky to have this, uh, to live in the northeast generally, but certainly for myself living in, in Newcastle, to have this city and to have the to have a, a football club that's based right in the middle of it, and, it, and is because we we only have one football team, one big fo- you know, major football team in the city, that it, life revolves around it, and it really it's does. the same obviously in Middlesbrough and Sunderland because they, they they are again one 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 city and one one club within it, and that's really kind of important, and it, it gives us a sort of a, a sense of collect collectivity and and community that perhaps if you've got more than one big big club in a city that you maybe don't experience because there's a rivalry there but we don't have that so i think that's a a really beautiful thing and uh yeah but it doesn't make me happy no (laughs) 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 but it there's a there is a um, almost a sense that you can't you can't be happy even when you can't it almost in the face of newcastle making you unhappy you can be happy i love sport because, you know, whether it's cricket or tennis or darts or football or rugby, whatever it is, I love that you can be invested in it and really care. And then it doesn't really matter. I mean, obviously, it matters if you're the competitor. But ultimately, we know in the grand scheme of things, you can get as outraged as you want about Newcastle not performing or doing whatever. But then you come away afterwards and really it matters, but it doesn't matter. Not not in the sense that the Sir Bobby Robson Foundation work matters. Yeah. So I, lo- I love that. I love that you can get tr- like truly care and then it not really, you know, and I love that. And, that and, and, those, and the drama. Oh, I love the drama of sport. It's brilliant. I love I love watching darts. I have, we, you know, we we I I can't I can't do maths at all. But they tell you on the telly what you have to look out for. So that's brilliant. I'm and I just love I'm the drama. Yeah. Two yeah. two people playing each other and, and, and there's no variables at all. It's the same board, you know, yes you can play with different darts and things, but it's the same board, there's no weather conditions or anything. It's all in their heads. It's brilliant. It's very it's a dartboard behind you, do you yeah. uh, do you enjoy playing or is that uh... I'm absolutely useless. I mean I, I I do, I can, but no, I'm not very good. And I it, and I have to use I, I can use the app on my phone that tells me what I need to go next, but I'm just so slow. So I'm I'm not very good at, at darts, but I, I do enjoy I do enjoy playing. In in fact, we have a dartboard in Tuscany, <laughs> so that when we go, <laughs> this is absolutely true. When we go to Tuscany, it's on the side of a shed, so you've got this incredible Tuscan landscape. These beautiful uh, the Alpi Apuani, these incredibly beautiful, incredibly beautiful mountains, incredibly <laughs> these uh, mountains. And then on the side of a shed, you've got a dartboard. <laughs> and it's brilliant. So we play darts with, with all kinds of uh, guests from all sorts of different countries. It's really good fun. They say, do you want to play some darts? Frecchetti, they call it in Italy. Do you want to play? I think, oh, oh, okay. And then you, you end up playing with you know people from you know Holland or wherever. It's brilliant. It's great fun. And <laughs> we, yeah, it's, it brings people together, doesn't it, sport? Yeah, yeah. Even yeah. when it's bringing people up, you know, taking people up, you know, <laughs> ri- uh, creating rivalries, it still brings you together. It's brilliant. 
Well, I think that's... Is there anything else you want to add there, Liz? No, I mean, all I would say is with regards to the Sir Bobby Robson Foundation that um, we, 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 as I said, it's been a hard year because of everything that's happened. It's been a hard year for everybody in every respect, but for, for charities, I think particularly charities that aren't uh, COVID-related, clearly it's been a tough year. <clears throat> and we've been very lucky that we have still continued to receive support um, and we greatly appreciate that. Uh, but if, if people want to get involved with the foundation, that would be wonderful. We've got great North Run places and obviously there is no um, public ballot this year. So if people want to get involved to do, to do the Great North Run, they can contact us on our website, uh, .uk. Um All of our contact details are on there. And really, I, I would I'd, I would recommend the, the Great North Run. Um, I do it every year. Um, look at the happiness in my face. <laughs> I've, I've, I've done it the last few years as well. Have I, you? I, I run. I run for charity as well. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah, I know why you've got that look on your face. It, it, <laughs> it's something that I, I, I get every year. I get myself. I go, oh, every year. Why am I doing it every yeah, year? Oh yeah, lord! And yeah. then I do it, and the sense of achievement and all the endorphins and and the the people on the that line the route and i if, if if to anybody that's not done the run it's not just running you know it's not running 13 miles is it it's it's nah. running 30 or jogging or half walking jogging however you can do it it's the encouragement that you get from those crowds on the route that from is the very start to oh, the very to, end isn't yeah it? it's just I, non-stop and, and on a hot day, the ice lollies and people squirting you with garden hoses and all of those things that you just perhaps don't really get a sense of when you see it on the telly. But when you actually do it, I mean, I, I, I get quite emotional doing it. And I, I think it's the same for, for, for lots of people because you are physically putting so much effort into something and then you, you're running along and you see the backs of people's running vests. L loads of people running for charities that obviously mean something to them. Um, and you know I'm running along and I see the back of one of the Sir Bobby running vests and that obviously makes me quite emotional and can choose to, to have a little ticket or whatever on the back saying you know I'm running because and, and and reading those it's really inspiring but also it's very emotional so I always obviously have Rebecca's name on the back for, for when I'm running and then we, but when you finish and you've got nothing left in the tank and you literally you and know, I'm never you, doing that again exactly <laughs> Yeah, never again. No, but then, like for, for instance, for the Sir Bobby uh, Robson Foundation, we have a, a, a tent in the charity village at the end, and Sir Bobby's family uh, volunteer every year to do the teas and coffees. They organise all of that. So you come in the tent, and you get a cup of tea and a banana, and uh, you know, chocolate biscuit, and try you know, and just sit down and get your breath back. And again, it comes back to that sense of community and and feeling like you're part of something and you're part of this team, and you you're not you're, you're running on your own. But you're not on your own. You're running with all of these people along who in the crowd, and all of the people who are running alongside you, who who also offer support. You know, while you're running, if you're struggling, it's an emotional experience. So I would strongly recommend the Great North Run to to anyone. I really would. And I think, yeah. So that's something I would I would say. You know, do do think about the Sir Bobby Robson Foundation. Do think about getting involved with us. It's an incredible thing to be in that crowd with all those people at the start as well. It's not something I ever thought I would be comfortable doing. And the first time I did it, I was absolutely terrified beforehand. And then when I actually got there, I was like, oh, this is lovely. It's just everybody's really happy and friendly. And yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a wonderful experience. Definitely recommend it. 
she says, <laughs> whilst dreading it all over again. <laughs> I know, I know. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Liz. It's been a real pleasure talking to you about uh, the Sir Bobby Robson Foundation, um, what brings you happiness. Um, so thank you so Apparently much. Apparently using, using the word incredible brings yeah, me happiness. We'll, we'll, we'll do a tally <laughs> for the end, don't you worry. <laughs> Oh dear, well, thank, thank you so, so much. much. No, it's a really wonderful idea for a for a podcast to actually stop and and it's made me stop and and think you know, um, about what makes what does make me happy and what I should be doing more of. Thank you. So that was Liz. What did people think? It was utterly amazing because I hadn't consciously thought about, I knew it was going to be Liz's story, but then the Bobby Robson Foundation and when she was talking about what it did and it just took me back to another another time in, in my life when we had, as a family, we had to face up to the challenges that she deals with or is part of the team that supports the foundation that has to deal with people going through a cancer scenario. But And the further I got into the interview, bearing in mind that the, the whole idea of, of the series is, is attitudes to happiness, I could only think of the, the strangely happy times that we had when Ken was poorly. And uh, so... There was one in particular because it it struck another chord. It struck a Newcastle United chord because uh, Ken was a football fan. But it also turned out, I think, that his consultant was a football fan as well. <laughs> so it, it was all very jolly. So they were on award in the RVI and the, there's eight or ten guys. So they'd have these joyous conversations about football. But I, w- I went in to see him one night and it was fairly late on. And as I went down the ward, there was something on his on his bedside table, and it was the most beautiful bottle of whiskey. Nice. <laughs> and not only was it a beautiful bottle of whiskey, it had the Newcastle United branding mm-hmm. on it, the, the logo. <laughs> well, where did he get that from? <laughs> and his consultant had given it to him and said, his consultant doctor had given it to him says, You'll enjoy that. Oh, yeah, I bet he did. <laughs> and that was the whole ethos of, of that experience, was that trying to make life as, as normal as possible, um, which was wonderful. And, and that's why I can look back on it with such good good memories. And another one that I thought of, which was even nicer for another, another guy who was in there at the same time, but uh, he got married on the ward. So mm. there was a wedding on that ward as well. So... The, the illness kind of took second place at some points to people's people living their lives, and it was just so wonderful to think that the the foundation is is supporting all of that. So all that work, ha- yeah. happy, strangely happy memories. So I could I could uh, equate to Liz very very well. Mm. Thanks, Kath. Thanks for sharing that. What did you think, Chris? Well, I'm not I'm not a massive football fan. I have to admit. Um, I've sort of managed to kind of dodge that all my life. I don't know why. I don't count myself a better person for it. Um, but it's, it was really nice hearing Liz talk in such glowing terms about Bobby Robson. I mean, football, yeah. um, the last couple of weeks, 
uh, hasn't had the best press. Oh no! For all sorts of reasons. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not going to go into it. It's. It's not my. It's not my comfort zone. I'll get it wrong. Um, yeah, a lot of people are sort of unhappy at some aspects of football. It's got the country quite exercised. So it was really, really nice to be reminded once again of you know one of the kind of the real characters of football, one of the real good guys, um, yeah. and to hear in detail, you know what he he has done what he set up what he set in motion what he did um with this with the foundation the work that still goes on so that you know it was really refreshing it was really encouraging it was quite inspiring i'd love to meet lady elsie lady elsie Mm. yeah she didn't she sound lovely yeah yeah Yeah. and afternoon tea is my absolute favorite so (laughs) an ideal combination yeah Yeah. yes yes yeah Yeah. It it was interesting where in a wide-ranging conversation, uh, Liz managed to get fudge and darts <laughs> in, into the same interview <laughs> and some exotic Italian locations as well. So. I, I, I laughed out loud when <laughs> that line, there's a, there's a wonderful line in the film Out of Africa. I can't remember the name of the lead actor in it. Um, but she says, I had a farm in Africa. You know, it's very kind of wistful. And it's just kind of replaced in my head now with... I man, but I've got a dartboard in Tuscany. <laughs> That's just class. Anything else, Chris? Was that? I can't get rid in my head of the image of a small terrier as IT support. That was can just, I help? Can I help? just yeah, not for any practical purpose, just kind of distraction from the problem that's going on. <laughs> just this dog going up and saying, like, have you tried turning it off and on again? Oh, but I love well. you. I love you. <laughs> Everybody needs a dog like that. I've, I've met said terrier and uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, she just came bounding to the door, Maggie Mayhem, and Maggie Mayhem. Uh, started rolling around in the grass in the garden. So... Uh... <laughs> she should um, patent that name, shouldn't she? Maggie Mayhem. It's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. It is. yeah. Good oh, name. it was nice. Um, to, uh, Bill Corcoran got a... Uh, Got a shout out as well. Good old Bill, yeah. Good old Bill. <laughs> Hi, Bill. <laughs> Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, um, go back and have a listen to his episode, everybody. It's really good. Yeah, yeah. His interview was great as well. Fabulous. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Kath. And thank you, Liz. If you've been inspired by this podcast episode, then we would love to hear from you. We love hearing your stories, thoughts, opinions on what happiness means to you. You can get in touch via email, hello at thenorthernguidestohappiness.co.uk or you can find us on Twitter at North Happiness and Instagram and Facebook at Northern Happiness. We're really glad to be back spreading more joy and happiness around the North East thanks to funding from the National Lottery Community Fund and the Newcastle Covid Fund. So thank you so much to our funders for their support. Next week's episode is with Michael Cunliffe, who is an artist who also works at North Tyneside Art Studio. We talk about how his own art practice brings happiness, as well as how important art can be to maintaining positive mental health. It's a really fascinating discussion, so don't miss this one. So you'll hear me ask him questions like this. So you've used the word happiness a few times, but also the word contentment, pleasure, joy... Is, is the word happiness a word that you're comfortable with? Um, or do you prefer to 
use a different word or words. And hear him give answers like this. I, I love words. I've got a real, um, I've got a real thing for words. People often tell me I'm, I'm a little bit uh, over the top with them. <laughs> I like, I like the way words feel. I like long, long words, like squamous. And do we need to get you on? Do we need to get you on countdown? I, I can't spell. Uh, <laughs> 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 but you know. Old-fashioned, you know, cyclopean is a wonderful word that you don't need, Ooh. but it's, it's wonderful, you know. <laughs> um, but happiness is, is I think, something we throw around a lot without having a, a clear meaning on it. I mean, the sometimes we talk about happiness as the absence of sadness, like it's it, it, they're opposites, you know. If you've got kids, they'll do the learn opposites thing, you know, happy and sad are opposite. But they're not, you know, there have been lots of times in my life when I've been happy and sad at the same time. When those those feelings exist together. And there are there are things that make me happy. There are there are things I can absolutely say make me happy. Living up north makes me happy. You know, um, the way of life here is is far, far better. Sorry. Sorry, southern listeners. it's true. It is true. It is very, very true. Um, <laughs> living by the coast makes me hugely happy. I love sitting and staring at the sea. It's never the same two days in a row. Just the, the, the movement of that wave coming back and forth, just, just that brings me a great deal of joy. Um, spending time with my wife and my family, these, these are things that make me happy. But that's not the same happiness as when I'm painting. It's not the same mm. happiness as sharing a meal with friends. It's not the same happiness as reading a book, you know, where you get kind of lost in a story. So it's, it's a complicated word that we use to mean a range of different things. Um, mm. I've, I've got no issues with it. You know, I talk about, about being happy, but it doesn't always do the job. When I, when I talk to people at the studio about making art about finding the thing that works from them i don't tend to use happy because it has all these connotations and actually a lot of the time what people are seeking is not happiness but that sense of peace of 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 flow of everything kind of being Mm. just in the moment and ordered and that's something that you know, mindfulness is, is a technique that lots of people are taught and it, it talks about that and a lot of Eastern philosophy talks about it. You know, you need to wash the dishes to wash the dishes or all, all, all these kind of things. It's still a kind of happiness. You know, if you could go through your whole life being content in every moment, that would be better than being happy, I think. So we've reached the end of another episode. We hope you've enjoyed listening to The Northern Guide to Happiness so far. Take care and see you all again next week for another episode.